Did you know one in five Americans live with a mental health problem? <laughs> that means unless you live in a cave, you know someone personally dealing with these issues. So join us and our special guests as we answer your questions, share real stories, and work to pull the curtain back on how stigma impacts our everyday lives and our communities. We believe that making a real impact happens best with candid conversations, laughter, and tears. We are your hosts, Jennifer Ritter and Josh Moore, and this is Impact Stigma. Good morning, evening, or afternoon. Good morning, evening, or afternoon, Josh. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. So it's a new year. 2023? Yeah. Season four? Yes. You guys, this is season four. Can you believe that? I can't believe it. Can't believe it's already came and gone. (laughs) January's almost over, too. I know. How was your holiday? It was all right. It was good to be off for two weeks and not do nothing. Yeah, I was sick. (laughs) Yeah, we got got the Rona during the holidays, too. I didn't get that. I got pneumonia, so that was fun. Oh, fun times. I remember all of the people I kind of held on Uh for Christmas at about six o'clock. Everybody was like... We love you. Merry Christmas. Thank you. And everybody was leaving. And I just kind of looked over at Greg and I was like, I'm going to go get in the bed. And I didn't get out of the bed till like the Sunday before I came back to work. We didn't get so. to go anywhere for Christmas because Aww. we had the Rona. That sucks. But it's all right. I enjoyed it. It's probably one of my favorite Christmases because I literally did nothing with nobody and sat at home. <laughs> oh, I know you like that. So. Oh, yeah. It was nice to not rush around to oh four gosh. different places and... Yeah. Just to chill and relax and enjoy really, home. I'm sorry you guys were sick, but I'm really glad you got that. I know, that was rest. nice. And I got a Mario Kart expansion for my DS. No, Or uh, not my, my Switch. No way. I did, so I had new courses. So for all of you that, that have listened to our podcast, Josh is extremely competitive when it comes to Mario Kart. I love Mario Kart. <laughs> play online all the time. Yeah, my kids do too. They liked it. They used to sit in the floor and we'd have like four different players on one screen and they're all trying to beat each other. It was pretty fun. Yeah, I love my Switch. Absolutely. All right. Well, welcome back, all of our Impact Sigma family. And if this is the first time you have joined us, then we're just really super glad you're here. It's hard to believe, like we just said, that we're now in our fourth season of Impact Stigma. This entire season is going to be full of guests that have wonderful stories of resiliency that will inspire and just warm your heart. We have all dealt with the past few years, and honestly, I don't think there's anybody out there that can say they have not been affected in some way from the past few years. So, you know, what better way to shine a light in the darkness than with positive stories from real-life survivors? Our first guest for Season 4 is the Executive Director of CASA of Northeast Tennessee. She has been with CASA for six years and previously worked in domestic violence as a domestic violence advocate, mental health case management, vocational rehabilitation, and children's ministry. She holds a BA in public leadership and service with a minor in legal studies from Milligan University. She is a wife, a mother and a volunteer in her local church. Welcome, Melanie Feathers, to Impact Stigma. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you so much (laughs) for having me. Absolutely. So what does CASA mean? So CASA actually stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. Okay. Yes. Yes. My mom was a CASA volunteer. That's right. She was. She she really liked it. And uh, my mother-in-law was with CASA in another state. Oh, see? Yeah. It's so... It's a, it's a small world. That's right. <laughs> it's a big deal to have that. I think it's really super important. Yeah, it definitely is. So one of the things we like to do to get to know you is ask you a few little questions. Yep. And my question to start off with is, what is your favorite thing to do to unwind? Okay, this is going to sound crazy, but I'm, I am one of those people. I love to go to the gym. And I'm going to tell you, four years ago, five years ago, I would have said I will never say that. I would have told you, 
I've never be one of those people. But somehow I have plugged away and I'm into all that group fitness with all that music and the get your knees up and your heart rate up and all that. I agree with you. My mom actually for Christmas got me four weeks at burn boot camp. Yeah. And I haven't done. Okay. So I've gone from zero activity whatsoever for the last three years. Mm -hmm. And I've actually worked out every single day. I'm really sore, but I'm also like, wow, I have so much energy. Like what? Yeah. And you feel like you've accomplished something. It makes me feel like I've accomplished something. So I don't really necessarily do it for weight loss or looking good or anything like that, but I do it to feel good. Hey, you got to do something to feel good. Yeah. Yeah, you do. (laughs) All right. So I wanted to ask you a weirdo question because I like to do that. So if you could be any animal, what would you be and why? Okay. So this is easy for me. I've always loved elephants. Always, always, always. I feel like they're sort of large and in charge, but not in a loud lion way. Right. More like in a regal way. So yeah, that's my my animal for sure. That's awesome. All right, well, make sure we tell our friends about our podcast and be sure to subscribe to our show. It's free to do so. Yep. Don't cost nothing. Tell your friends, you guys. So mm-hmm. we want you guys to subscribe. That's right. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, all that stuff. All that stuff. And we're going to expand too. So yeah. For sure. So if there's a place for us out there that we can tag our little podcast on, we're going to find a, a platform. That way everybody can find us. That's right. As always, we strive for candid, open, and sometimes even humorous conversations here on Impact Stigma. So please remember this podcast is never intended to be a substitute for professional advice, formal diagnosis, or treatment for mental and behavioral health issues. If you need further assistance or have questions, please visit Frontier Health website at FrontierHealth.org for more information. If you, your child, or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide or experiencing a mental health crisis, you can now dial 988 and you will be able to speak with a crisis specialist right away or go to your nearest emergency room. All right, everybody. So, Melanie, we would love to hear more about you and your role with CASA of Northeast Tennessee. Would you share a little bit of your background with what you've done at CASA and what what you do for the community? Yeah, absolutely. I love CASA. I learned about CASA when I was in college in a family law class, and it was sort of one of those things I just knew that that's what I was meant to do. It took me a little while to get there because CASA is primarily a volunteer organization, um, not very many paid positions. So when a paid position came along, I jumped at it. Yeah. Um, I've been with CASA for six years now, and I just recently moved into the executive director role. Previous to that, I was a program coordinator for Unicoi County, and, uh, and, and CASA really, what we do is we serve abused and neglected children in our community. Mm-hmm. So CASA of Northeast Tennessee serves Green, Unicoi, and Washington counties, and within Washington County, that the city of Johnson City. And we work with the juvenile court system, providing kids with an advocate, someone to kind of be in their corner, have their back. And, and stand up for them in court, talk about what's in their best interest, what does this child need to succeed, to overcome what has happened so that they can be set up for success mm-hmm. in the future. We met for our pre-interview. Mm-hmm. I like to do that to kind of get to know our guests and, and find that heart part of the story. So you shared with me like how important mental health is to you and your entire family, and you were very candid, and I was very impressed, and I thought that was extremely right along the lines of what Impact Stigma is all about. So 
Would you mind sharing your personal experience with mental health and why you're such a huge advocate with our family of listeners? So mental health um, is something that does, in fact, it, it impacts my entire family. And I feel like we've got to talk about it so that, uh, so that other folks can get help. And so that what we deal with, we can use that to share with others uh, so, that, so that they can get help too. I personally um, struggle with depression and anxiety and insomnia. So, you know, I have fortunately been able to receive really good care and have been stable for a long time. But within my family, both of my parents and my sister all have struggled with depression. Um, and I, I have a brother who unfortunately uh, committed suicide and um, just did not, he did not recognize in himself what was going on and was not able to reach out for help. And so obviously that losing him is, is, is the most painful part of my story. Of course. Right. You know, he he was 23 years old and we just really, he, he lived on his own. So we really didn't see the signs. After the fact, hindsight is always twenty twenty, and you find all kinds of things. But in order for him to not have died in vain, like I, I don't want to, I don't want to hide what happened. We want Good. to share and yeah. be open and honest about what happened because he really felt like he, he was a burden to others. He, we, we were so blessed that he wrote us a beautiful letter and that letter really helped us find closure. But, but in it, he said, I, I don't want to be a burden to others and I just want to be with God. And it's heartbreaking that he thought that if he shared what he was dealing with, that that would be a burden to others. Because it's certainly not, you know, we were raised in a wonderful home. We had great supports. We had all the opportunities to get help that we needed, but he just didn't recognize it in himself. And I think he just didn't know that even though he saw what I had experienced, he just didn't know that that's what was happening with him. Almost like he couldn't see the forest for the trees. I'm really glad you say that because a lot of times we'll have people share stories and you'll kind of skip over that part. It's like, it's really not anything people are ever immune to. It has no socioeconomic right proclivity it has nothing that says oh if you're this level of income or you're in this particular status you know when people suffer from these issues it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from it is something that that's why we need to talk about it because trauma does it but also there there are environmental and biological factors that play in the part too yeah and you can have a beautiful family and still have someone who suffers yeah 100 percent. and you know and we kind of joke in my family but we all take medication and we're all on the same medicine and almost the same dose with different doctors so we feel like if anybody wants to study our family do a little brain scan we're, we're up for that we're good for that that's all right i remember yeah. you telling me that i was like i really hope she remembers to tell this on yeah. the podcast. yeah yeah 100 percent. it was so, so funny yeah yep um so yeah so that's what that's what my passion um with mental health is about it's just I just don't want people to to feel like they can't share what's going on absolutely it's really Mm. important yeah for sure yeah well thank you so much for sharing um that personal your mental health journey with us I know that while you're very big of an advocate for it it's it's never really 100% easy to share sure Sure. so thank you we really appreciate that and it just it definitely takes a certain special person to do what you do, and it's safe to say that you certainly know what it takes to be resilient during difficult times, for sure. So when you hear the word resilient, like, what does that word mean to you? You know, I, I really thought about this question, and and I think at first people think of resiliency as, like, being able to bounce back. Right. But I actually think it's different than that. I think it's more about 
about being able to weather the storm and being able to come through the storm and be on the other side, you know, you, maybe you're not standing, but you're on the other side and mm-hmm. maybe, maybe yeah. you need to reach out for help, but you're able to lift your hand up and reach out for help. So I really think it's about being able to weather that storm and having what you need to weather the storm. I think it's kind of a false idea that we're a basketball, that we're just going to bounce right back. Oh God, we're yes, not, thank you. you know, we're not, we're not just going to bounce right back and, and we're not going to be the same on the other side as we were before, Mm -hmm. um, whatever happened, but, um, but we weather that storm. And, and, and I think if we can give people the tools they need to weather the storm safely, then we can get through it better and have better resiliency. Absolutely. So as a leader, what are some of the challenges you faced over the past few years? Yeah, well, and I think, you know, at CASA, we're in that helping agency, you know, we're, um, we're there to help others. And it, it really kind of, it gets sticky when you're supposed to be helping others, but you really need help yourself. Yeah, that does. You know, it, it gets real sticky and, and it can get, despite everything we know about, oh, you should ask for help and don't be afraid and everybody needs help sometimes. When you're in the helping field, it's like you don't give yourself permission to do that, you know? And I think that that, it's hard as a leader to say, to be vulnerable, to be vulnerable and say, I, I need help, you guys. You know, I'm here out front. I'm trying to lead you, but I really, we need to do this alongside each other we do I think vulnerability is one of the biggest things people misunderstand yeah everybody thinks that means weakness I mean I talk to my husband a lot about it and vulnerability for men is always like well I don't want to be vulnerable that means I'm going to be weak no I think talking about it is like that's what creates resiliency yeah a hundred percent I am here this is where I stand and then someone else can look over and say me too I'm there too. I'm with you. Or like, I've been through that. I get that. And then it's like, all of a sudden you open the door for a conversation that may help somebody and yourself. Right. So that vulnerability is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely think that that has been giving, when I give myself permission as a leader to be vulnerable, it gives my other folks around me permission to say, Mm -hmm. Hey, we do need help or we need a little extra time off or we need to just go to lunch as a staff, you know, <laughs> we need to reconnect. Yeah. We need, yeah, we need to, we need to have a little staff dance party, whatever it is that we need to do. You know, I would not come by our office when we're doing staff dance party, but sometimes we do that. <laughs> <laughs> I know they do some dancing here. So yeah, yeah, they do for sure. <laughs> One of the universal challenges that we can relate to within our work environments to some degree is like the dramatic increase in what we hear in the everywhere, which is, the burnout, we hear that all over the place right now, and that specifically started right about 2019. And, you know, just we've all been under so much stress, and we've all had to deal with so many things, and it's it's a myriad of things, so I want to address it's like the pandemic, and there's been financial upheaval and political upheaval and as a country, but then there's also so many things that go on in our particular area too. And I've had the pleasure of talking to tons of leaders right now because we've got a lot of really great upcoming guests on our podcast. You're like, we're so happy to have you to be our first guest. It was such a great conversation. But how exactly has burnout affected you and your colleagues? Yeah. And I think one thing I always thought is I'm not going to get burned out, right? (laughs) That's like the most dangerous phrase. I'm not going to get burned out. Well, then you 100% are. (laughs) And, And so 
when we hit the working from home period, right? Everybody was like, now just be aware. It's going to be hard to come back. It's going to be hard to come back. And I thought, what are you people talking about? Like, I do not want to work from home. I'm a people person. I'm so ready to come back. It's not going to be a problem. And I just, I couldn't recognize it until finally one day I told my my supervisor then, I said, I feel like when we came back to work, like we were all a bunch of racehorses and finally the gate opened and everybody took off but me. And me and my horse are still sitting there. <laughs> like, oh, were we supposed to go? I don't, what What are we supposed to do? You were you know? so not alone. Yeah. You were so not alone. <laughs> me and my horse and maybe some other horses apparently. But just, you know, sitting in the gate. And so I think that I wasn't aware or I wasn't in tune to the fact that this roller coaster of being at home, being at work, going home again, going back to work again, yeah. I, I wasn't I wasn't keyed in to how yeah. that would really affect me. And because I wasn't keyed in to how it would really affect me, there was definitely one particular meeting when I lost my stuff. You know, <laughs> I just I lost my stuff. I had to be at home because I was in quarantine and they were having a meeting and I was trying to be on the meeting, you know, on the phone and I just I was just like, I, I have to hang up. I just said, I have to hang up. And I just cried and cried and cried. And I thought, what am I crying about? Like right. this is, but I think it is that roller coaster of emotions and that roller coaster of the unknown. And so burnout has definitely affected us. I don't know if I'm fully answering your question, but burnout has definitely affected us in terms of. You are, you're doing great. <laughs> trying like, to figure out where we yeah. are now that we are back to work, mm-hmm. you know? Josh and I both can kind of speak to it because when we went through that here, we didn't go home and work from home a whole lot. We had to come to the office, but we were quarantined in our office. Yeah. And then he has kids and I have kids that are all school age. So like our kids were at home school, like schooling themselves while we were at work. I used to be a morning person, Melanie. And then I went through all that and I'm like, I cannot go to sleep because my kid, I'm like, you guys have got to go to bed. We don't have to check in until this time. And it was like that whole roller coaster of like everybody's schedule was just insane. And there was really no way to deal with it. There wasn't a whole lot of how to, you know, nobody expected any of that. So it was very much like this. It was extremely discombobulating to come to work and and constantly be like my head are my kids okay are they doing school or like are they I can't parent them I'm not there mm-hmm. are they even though they're teenagers are they checking in I mean I think you shared that too right yeah I think they struggled more that year I think it's a year of lost education because yeah. they didn't really learn anything that year and they went back and struggled even harder than they had yeah had absolutely. before and I have two 4.0 students that went back and was like making C's and B's and they were like I don't know yeah yeah no my husband is a teacher and I mean and even even now he's got kids and he's like these kids didn't learn certain things you know like they're working on writing essays and things like that and that whole their whole eighth grade year they didn't learn the building blocks so that by the time they were sophomores they were ready you know exactly it's it's it took a toll on parents and I mean like as three parents sitting around on a microphone a little bit extra just say hey if you're listening out there and you're a parent you're not alone and you're not a bad parent and there's so many of us that went through it and like, just give yourself a pat on the back that you're here. Yeah. Yeah. And we're still kind of going through it. Yeah. You know? Like we're still kind of going through it. For sure. It, absolutely. So. Yeah. So you work with children and families all the time. Did you see an increase in the need for CASA volunteers and services since 2019? And did you and your CASA team have to find different approaches to help those who needed services? Yeah. What happened during the pandemic is referrals to the DCS hotline really went Mm -hmm. down. So during the pandemic, we were not getting a lot of new cases, but we definitely had to change our approach. 
a big part of what our advocates do is connect with those kids and connect with the families. One of the things we teach them is see those kids face to face, make sure you're there. Well, we couldn't do that, right? Um, We started having meetings where kids were on front porches and we were out in the yard. Um, We started, we've used up the Zoom like everybody else. You know, we now have our Zoom membership. Yeah. It definitely changed how we had to do things right then. And to some degree, you couldn't do things as well as you were before. You you couldn't go into homes and find out what was, what was mm. really happening, you know, because every visit was an announced visit, you know, or it was a, a video. And so people are walking you around their house on video. And it also, I think, prevented some of the connection. You know, one of the things that CASA tries to do is connect with the child, but also connect with the parents. Right. We would love to see, we love the times when 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 parents and kids can be reunited, but when everything's on the telephone and some folks don't have easy access to internet or cell phone service, it just, it really breaks down some of that connection. So it definitely changed how we did things and our volunteers were eager to get back to doing things (laughs) the way that they were used to. But that need for volunteers substantially increased once kids were back in school. Right. Right. Because that's when we saw referrals going back to the hotline. That's when we saw... Because people were seeing people again. Because, yeah, kids are back in school and people are seeing people. They could observe if there was an issue. Right. A hundred percent. And so that's when those referrals started going up and then that you know, then gets passed down to CASA. And so that is when our need for volunteers really increased exponentially. So one of the things that we talked about when we had our interview, and I thought it was really great because you were really excited about sharing it with me, and it had to do with the seven C's of resiliency that CASA uses to talk to their kids. So how have you used um, the seven C's of resiliency that are taught to volunteers and the families and children you serve in your personal and your professional life? Yeah, so National CASA does our training for us. They give us our training materials. And um, they talk about the seven C's of resiliency. Hello, everyone. Like what you're hearing so far? Well, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button right now. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you, and we greatly appreciate your support. So let's get back to the show. So the seven C's of resiliency that we talk about are um, competence, confidence, connection, character, contribution, coping, and control. Um, And we talk about these in terms of what kids need in order to have building blocks towards resiliency. So when children have an opportunity to develop competence in something, something that they know they're good at, when they have the opportunity to sort of come back from failure, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're so tempted to jump in and rescue, but we actually kind of undermine their ability to develop competence when we do that. So when they have the opportunity to come back from a difficult situation, that builds that confidence that we also Mm -hmm. talk about. So the big ones, though, that CASA really speaks into with children is really that connection and character. Children really need an adult that they can feel connected to. An adult that can not just serve as an example for them, some of that mentorship type role, but someone that they know is going to be there for them too, Mm -hmm. someone that they know they can count on. And that helps the child also connect to their community. And so 
not only do they have a connection to the adult, but then the child has something they can give back to the community and create connections outside of that. And so that's one of the roles that the CASA volunteer plays is that connection role. And young people need a clear sense of, of right and wrong, right? They need to know that there are folks around them that are committed to doing what is right. And that is another role that the CASA volunteer can play. And so that, that's really what CASA speaks into the lives of these kids for. Yeah. And how did you guys use that? But yeah, so when it came to us, I think one of the things that we had to do is realize that despite what was happening with the pandemic and despite that we couldn't be in homes the way we were, we had to rely on the fact that we are still connected to the community. We are still providing a connection, right? right? And when you know that you are providing a connection, then that increases your sense of purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Which helps you weather that storm. We also had to really go back and rely on some of those coping skills that we talk to children about. We talk about taking care of yourself. We talk about healthy coping skills so that we're not turning to alcohol. We're not turning to drugs. We're not turning to, to just staying in our room and lying around. We had to use those ourselves, right. find ways to get outside. We would have to tell each other. We would be on these work conferences calls and you'd get on and you'd have to say have you been outside today mm -hmm. have you gone for a walk today did you go get your mail today you know that kind of thing we had to ask each other those questions because it was so easy to just get stuck isolate inside yeah that's what we were asked to do we so were that's told what we were doing <laughs> that's 100 yeah, yeah yeah they told us to isolate and we did but that's really detrimental to oh, yeah. our ability to weather the storm our kids got into playing cornhole we did oh, cornhole nice. outside, you know, three times a week, and they love doing that. They'd love to play, switch up teams and play each other. So yeah. we did that quite a bit during during the lockdown. Yeah, and you have to you have to find those new ways, right? To kind of, I mean, that became a coping tool yeah. for them. Mm -hmm. You know, he's an avid hiker, mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. I mean, I could kind of like he, he's a, an excellent photographer, and I know he and his wife would do all those things and take his kids, and I kind of live vicariously through that, but. <laughs> Right. Because I was like, I don't know if I can get myself built myself up to go hiking. Yeah. I'm not good at it. <laughs> yeah, we'd, we'd take them, he's great. We'd take them hike waterfalls. Right. And do stuff like that. I'd give them a camera. They'd walk around, take pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, um, for me, I told you guys, like, the gym was really my, yeah. my outlet. And you couldn't go to the gym. Right. right? And I would 100% joke, but be serious that I don't exercise outside. I don't exercise without air conditioning. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like people, I'm like, that's funny, but it's also true. Um, but I'm the same way. So, I'm yeah. not trying to, I'm just not, I'm yeah. just not good at being hot. I'm not. So I, I wish really I was... had to force myself to get outside, you know, and yeah. get some fresh air, open the windows at yeah. least, that kind of thing. So using our coping skills became a big piece of our own resiliency. Yeah. And that last one, the, we talk about control. When yeah. you have a sense of control, then you can weather a storm better. But storms by their nature are out of control, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we had to do is really say, what do I have control over in the midst of this? Myself, and, right? Yeah, I have yeah. control over myself. I can choose how I'm going to handle being at home. Yeah. I can choose to, to to wallow in that sadness or I can choose to try something new today, right? I think now that we're like kind of past a lot of it, the reason we're talking about it now is 
I hope we can empower some people to like look back and say, okay, I did the best I could because that's what we're all trying to do. Yeah. Like no matter what, as hard as that is to see, that we all have gone through stuff because sometimes we kind of sit in our own little aloneness in our head and we're like, wow, I really went through this, so I didn't do a good job. And it's like, no, everybody struggled, and we're here, and you're you did you were resilient. Like, yes, hear Melanie tell you that you were resilient. hundred, yeah. yeah, you did the best you could with what you had, and I yeah. think what's really interesting is we didn't have a whole lot Mm-mm. to go on. No. Right? <laughs> People were like, well, there was this smallpox pandemic back in the like nineteen something, you know. Um, and then we after we got after we felt like we were out of that, then we had like, oh my gosh, there's a re- there's a recession and inflation, and then there's like we had an election year, and it was just like. It was one thing after another. So, I mean, we can talk about the pandemic, but that was just the start of everything. Right. Oh, So there was so much more to overcome. Yes. And that's why I'm saying that's why we're talking about it now at this point to say, hey, you guys, like, be proud of yourself and stand up and say, I was resilient. And if you don't feel like you are, listen to our podcast. Yeah. Because we're telling you that you are. (laughs) Yeah. If you're on the other side of it, Mm -hmm. then you are resilient. You have made, you know, and doing the best with what you had and with what you knew at the time, you know, is a big part of it. So, like, I guess one thing I want to say for our leaders and for those that are in, there's a difference between burnout and stress. And something, I mean, Christy Hammonds, our CEO, did a thing on this and um, did a presentation about it, and that's kind of where this inspiration came from. And she was very clear that burnout is job and career, career related, and then stress is everything else. So what is the most important lesson that you've learned about recognizing burnout and developing personal resiliency from the challenges you face? Like what's just like one or two really important pieces? Yeah. Um, So I told you I just love CASA and I believe in what we do. And I think holding on to the fact that I believe in my, in the importance of my job, holding on to that has been really, really important. And I think learning to recognize when I'm headed for burnout. Remember, I mean, like I said a little bit ago, I was all like, oh, I'm not going to get burned out. That was the most, you know, detrimental thing. My personality lends me to be the kind of person that I don't know I'm going to hit the wall until I've hit it. You're definitely like that. You give a lot. I'm just go, go, go until you crash. So something I've really learned in order to be resilient so that I can keep doing the work that we do is to recognize the little signs of, hey, you need to take care of yourself. Signs like restless nights because I'm dreaming about things that are happening at work. That's a big sign, you know. Yeah, that is. You're right. Or, you know, it's a job I love, but I'm struggling to want to get there. Mm -hmm. These are all things that don't say you need to push harder. These are things that say you need to find a way to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I've gone through that. I think Josh has probably gone through that. There's no person in this building or in any of our facilities that hasn't probably felt that in some form or fashion. Yeah, for sure. Because we're in the giving service industry, taking care of people too in different ways. So yeah, it's hard to stop giving to other people because doesn't self-care feel selfish and we're told not to be selfish right right? yeah but that isn't selfish yeah and I've heard it before like you can't give from an empty cup yeah (laughs) you know you pour out pour out pour out and you have nothing left to give and we've got to make sure that we're refilling that so that we I'm really bad at that I'm trying really hard do something nice for myself and forgive myself and And I think parents I think (laughs) parenting is the same way you know because you just love your kids so much and you give to them and give to them and give to them till you're you ready don't to have lose it, it. <laughs> then, and yeah. then you feel horrible because you've lost it <laughs> yeah. on them you know yeah and Guilty. so yeah and that's the thing I mean like I said 
the gym is my thing. And, and does that take yeah. an hour and a half away from my family? It sure does. That was a big one for me. I don't know. I don't know if you're doing this yet. I mean, with his hiking, I would say mm-hmm. he's one of the most fit people in the room. I mean, honestly, I just know he hikes like crazy things. But yeah. for just a small, tiny amount of time I've been doing it, I was so hesitant for like six months to even get started. And now I'm like, I really need this. I'm really sorry mm-hmm. I'm not at home right now. But if I don't have this, I'm going to go bonkers. Yes. And it's weird because I never thought better. I'd say I like going to work out. Right? I told my husband, I'm like, listen, everybody's going to be a lot happier if I take an hour and a half three times a week. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So are there any special CASA stories, success stories that you can share with our Impact family? Yeah. um, You know, some of the best stories, and without getting in too much detail about anybody, but um, I think about families who have been reunited, you know, um, the things that our families face that they have to overcome are pretty intense. Um, yes, their children have been traumatized, but usually that is coming from a history of their own trauma, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and and if they were not taught how to be resilient, right, then they have these coping skills that are unhealthy um, and, and that lead to unhealthy relationships with other people, unhealthy relationships with their children, and so when we see folks who are able to, um, to turn that corner, you know, to build healthy coping skills and to get rid of, of, the, of the things that we're holding back, of the substance abuse, of the, um, you know, a lifestyle of, of illegal activity, that kind of thing, when we're able to leave that stuff behind and turn a corner so that they can be reunited with their kids, that is some of the most special precious time mm-hmm. is to see families come together in a way that is healthy, that they can love and support each other, you know, but on the same end, sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes children can't be reunited with parents in a safe and healthy environment, but we see foster families step up who become adoptive families. Yeah. We see other family connections, grandparents, aunts, and uncles who are able to step up. And we have a great community of support out there. And one of the things CASA tries to do is connect people with those supports. So we see these grandparents connecting with other grandparents that are in their shoes so that they can be resilient to raise these children. And so those are really some of the greatest stories when we see children in loving homes where they're engaged in extracurricular activities, where they're going to school, where the kids are feeling like they have something that they can give and offer back. You know, those are some of the the best stories. We we recently had a volunteer and uh, he was not, he wasn't served by our CASA but he was served by ACASA. And uh, after graduation and after he got started in college, he became a CASA volunteer himself. Wow. And I think that is like the most, and now he's off in med school and he's a CASA volunteer in West Virginia. You <laughs> That's know? amazing. It is, yeah, that to me is like. It's the, like the circle. The greatest circle That's of awesome. success. That's great. And just a little plug, I will say that we have traces and values. Yes. And I am going to say that just because it's been on our social mm-hmm. media lately and one of the things we've heard is like because of the last few years, foster parents have kind of fallen down by the wayside. But there's such a huge need for foster care and foster parenting. It's such a it's extremely difficult, but it's very rewarding. I've watched 
from a personal standpoint, I have kids that were adopted through foster care and I, I know the story and it was really beautiful. So if you're out there and you're listening and you've ever had it on your heart to be a foster parent, please reach out to these resources in CASA and Frontier and, and just check it out and see yeah. what if it's right for you because there's some really, really amazing kids out there that could use the help. Yes, yes. For sure. All right, one last question. If you could step into our shoes on this podcast, what would you have asked yourself that we didn't? So I thought about this too. I, I, I don't know. I mean, you asked a lot of really good questions, but I think the key that I'd want to drive home, I don't know what the question would be. The key I'd want to drive home is just prevention. Yeah. Right. Just being, understanding that crisis is going to come. Storms are going to come. Right. So what can we do to prevent us from languishing in that crisis or from coming apart in that crisis? What can we do to make ourselves ready? You know, when you have an office or whatever, they want you to have a preparedness kit, right? In case you have to shelter in place, right? Sure. So I, I used to work for the state of Virginia and we had this giant tub and it had water in it and it had blankets in it and like canned food. Preparation. In it. Yeah. yeah. So if we have to weather a storm, we're ready. Right. But I feel like that's what we've got to do for ourselves and mm-hmm. for our kids. We've got to teach the coping skills before the crisis comes. Yeah. And, you know, we teach kids all kinds of prevention. We do prevention for breast cancer. We do prevention for colon cancer. We do all these screenings. But we're not there yet with mental health. Yeah. We're not there yet. We're still kind of in a reaction phase with mental health instead of a prevention phase. I think, I think that's- it's in a permission to be, I can speak for my parents, okay, for instance, um, have a really difficult time saying I need help because yep. that's not what they were taught. So I'd love to see us focus on obviously the the small the younger generation to keep them from being okay. <laughs> and then like make sure we get those we call them baby boomers. Yeah. You know, make sure we tell the baby boomers it is okay for you to not be okay. You don't your value isn't based on whether or not you're working so hard you're gonna die. Right. <laughs> you know? Yes. Like you're allowed to just not be okay and let them have a voice and say hey if you're struggling you can you can get therapy therapy is not mean you're crazy it means we all have mental health and we have physical health and they're combined and they're together yes so reach out and ask yeah just you like know? you go to the doctor yes. you know just we say it like all the time on the here doctor. don't we josh mm-hmm. all yeah. the time and that's what uh, that that to me is the key if we can yeah. just move more and more towards prevention and giving ourselves permission to have self-care however that is and it's not bubble baths well bubble baths are okay yeah. but it yep. can be like, hey, I just gave myself a five-minute break today or, like, I gave myself permission to cry or right. I walked around the block or I yeah. went and got a Wendy's Frosty. That might yeah. be one of mine, but anyway. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Whatever you need. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. Um, it's been so much fun, Melanie. I really appreciate yeah. you being here. We're so glad you're our first guest. Thank yeah, you so thank much. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, I loved it. Coming. I loved it. So um, just for all of our Impact Sigma family, obviously we can't be here without you listeners or we'd just be in here talking. So we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. And please tell your friends. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that button. Absolutely. And just make sure you guys remember to go help us make an impact. Stigma can make mental health problems worse and even stop a person from getting the help they need. Untreated mental illness places an enormous economic and emotional burden on our communities. Economic burden alone is in the billions, and that directly affects all of us. We all play a crucial role in creating a mentally healthy community, one that is inclusive, rejects discrimination, and supports recovery. For us at Impact Stigma, this is way more than just a podcast. It is about igniting our communities, sharing our stories, and working together with listeners like you. 
We invite you to find out more about Impact Stigma on our website at impactstigma.com. One way you can make an impact right now is by sharing our podcast with your friends and family because you never know when something we talk about might be the reason someone you love asks for help. Mental illness is not a personal failure. We can't do this without you. So if you feel inspired to get involved, first, subscribe to this podcast. Then go visit our website at impactstigma.com. Watch the video and read about how you can become an impact maker. Thank you for listening to Impact Stigma. You're so glad you chose us. We want to thank our guests again for sharing your impactful story and doing your part to impact stigma. Join us next time as we enjoy some laughs and hear impactful stories. Until then, this work needs you. So go be an impact maker. Thank you and be blessed.